Business owners have been dragged back into the weeds over the last two years. They have been shoveling their own hay, shoveling their own coal, shoveling their own insert (laughs) phrase here. And I want to talk about how you can use that fact to help build your practice. My name is Yafa Sakaja, and I'm the CEO of Beneplan. So what do I mean by owners have been shoveling their own hay? Um, you know, I'm, I'm part of many business owner peer groups. There's one that I spend like seven grand a year to join. It's called EO. It's amazing. Um, and so there we talk to a lot of entrepreneurs. We talk to a lot of people. And I think there's one, this is very anecdotal, so I'm not like conducting studies, but I just find anecdotally before the pandemic, you see, you always see business owners who are trying to scale up and grow their business. And one of the biggest ways that you do that is by delegating and elevating. So get out of your business, stop, stop working in the business, work on the business, all of those concepts. And that helps business owners grow. But it's a little bit like quicksand because every time that you have leveled up and you feel like you've grown the business and you know revenues are up and you're starting to build your team and delegate, there sometimes can be an event, a triggering event where you're sucked back in. It's almost like a game of snakes and ladders. Like That's how I would describe it. So with the pandemic, a lot of owners and leaders were dragged back into that quicksand. And I'll give you some practical examples. Um, these are all anonymous business owners, so I won't name them, but they're real people that I know. Um, we had one company whereby they, <clears throat> they are a factory and the front office just had to go into the back, including the HR manager, including the owners and go into the back and build their own product because there was such a shortage. I'm located here in Canada where we had this benefit called CERB. Uh, CERB is basically like, you know, the government gave everyone $2,000 a month for several months. I would say for probably hmm, 18, 20, maybe 24 months to uh, say, okay, stay at home. And if you're sick and you, your job is lost because of the pandemic, like you get the CERB thing. So because of that, because of labor shortages and supply chain shutdowns, like the front office had no choice but to go into the back office. And if a lot of you benefits advisors have customers that are factories or they make something, you're very familiar with the front office, back office concept. You know, you walk in, you see a really, really nice, like clean front office. You go into the back. Oh my goodness. There's all these machines here and there's different types of people and they speak different languages. Like, so that dichotomy, dichotomy was broken. Um, you know, there's another person I know that they're in, um, the business of selling, like, you know, they do B2C sales. And so they had to actually get back into the field and sell their own product. Another business owner I know had to retrain their frontline staff themselves. They had built this business over 15 years, built it to a huge headcount, and then realized, wait a minute, the frontline staff don't know what they're doing, the new people. And they had so many managers that were out either sick or, you know, working from home or just overloaded that they, the owner had to retrain their frontline staff, even though they had managers. Um, Owners in restaurants, I don't know if you've noticed, I mean, here in Toronto where we had some of the longest lockdowns, like you'd go into restaurants and I'd see, like, I, you know, I'm a regular at my local cafe or my local Italian takeout shop and, you know, you start to see people who are working the cash that you've never seen before. Like these people look a little older, they look a little bit more tired and I would kind of start conversations with them and that's the owner. Of course, of course, because they are dragged back into shoveling their own hay. Even myself. I mean, I wasn't immune to some of the labor market challenges that we've had. And I have also been dragged back into the weeds. So I was spending a lot of time on 
strategy and, you know, sitting in my cushy little ivory tower before the pandemic. And in the pandemic, it was just such a sobering experience because I was dragged back into day to day, like all sorts of things that I thought I had left behind over five, over 10 years ago. And now I find that I'm back in there, um, just because of the challenges that we have with the labor market. So then I want to share the following with you. I want to share that, you know, I, I look at our data. So as a TPA, we're a third party administrator. We are processing salary changes every single day. So we can run a report and see, well, what are the salary increases that are coming through every month? And the reason why we need to do that is because some of our insurance carriers require medical evidence if a salary change has been greater than 15% um, in order to increase their coverage. So if they've got life or disability that's tied to their income, if you really want to get that boost in coverage, you're going to have to fill out a medical. Anyways, that's the kind of reason why we have this data, but I'm just running, I'm just looking at this data every month. And in 2022, it's wild because I'm seeing, you know, 30% increases in salaries, 50%, 60%, increases across the board. And we never saw that before. I think when I was thinking back to my days working at Bennett Plan in 2008, 2009, I'm thinking about some of the auto part companies that were really struggling because of the, you know, catastrophe that happened. And, you know, we were seeing like 1% increases coming through. And then a few years later, it's like, okay, now we're back up to three. Like, this is, wow, this is very good. And so the cost of living, uh, argument has just kind of flown out the door. And just by polling some of my friends who run businesses, I'm like, what increases are you all putting through this year? I'm hearing everything from, well, we're doing two increases. We're doing a 10% mid-year um, 60% for high performers, a hundred percent. Like it's just, it's psycho. Like I can't even, there's no other word other than that. So why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because I think you have a really powerful opportunity right now. You know, right after, when you think about that, your customer's profit and loss statement, you've got income right away. So you've got your revenues, then you've got your expenses. And what is the number one expense? Typically, not always, typically it's payroll. Payroll is that big kahuna, that big elephant sitting on top. And then what comes after that? Benefits. Benefits might be the second, third, or fourth most expensive line item as a cost of doing business. Let's just like separate cost of goods sold for a second. So forgetting about the cost of the materials, but the gross expenses to run the operations of your business. And so you've got a massive opportunity. You have had, you have businesses who have been so distracted for the last two years because they've been in the kitchen cooking the food for their customers themselves, as opposed to like working on strategy. They've been way too distracted to even think about analyzing their PL. I'm sure a lot of them have, but the ones who were essential businesses that didn't even have time to breathe or go to the bathroom, some of them might just now be okay. Okay. Now I can get out of the kitchen for a minute. I can breathe. Oh man, let me look at my PL. Oh my goodness. We're spending this for this. Oh my, wow. And so with inflation pushing up the cost of inputs, you know, benefits is going to be one of those items that will be more heavily scrutinized this year. I think we got off a little bit more scot-free of the last two years. And when I say we, I'm just talking about the volume of requests to quotations that Beneplan has received. So I did see a, a bit of a lull during the pandemic, and I attribute that to business owners being so distracted or leaders, HR almost burning out because they were so busy dealing with like 
pandemic policies and do we have enough sanitizer and hey there's a ship that's been sitting outside the port of LA for three weeks and we need it to come in so finally now that inflation has reared its ugly head especially wage inflation I think you're going to be able to finally talk to business owners you're going to be able to talk to those leaders those HR those controllers that finally have an opportunity to breathe maybe their labor market um, issues have stabilized or they're they're coming to a head. The, you know, the sun is out. I think people are a little bit happier depending upon where you live. And I think you, this is really the time to strike. You know, it's May. You've got a lot of opportunity to get in the door the, the rest of the year. <clears throat> so I have a big question for you. People like us, owners, have been shoveling their own coal for the last two years. Have you been? Have you been shoveling your own coal? I say that because when I meet benefits advisors, I see there's two types of personalities. You've got hunters and you've got farmers. I find hunters typically don't want to shovel their own hay. And that's because they're too busy or it's maybe not the personality type. And what, what do I mean by that? I mean, so you're really good at building relationships with key people. You're really good at closing deals, but after the deal is closed, you don't want to get involved in service. And I understand that. And I respect that. then you've got farmers who are a little bit the opposite. Farmers have less success generally closing deals, finding, but they're really good at maintaining business, really good at renewing, really excellent at service. And so I think that the average benefits advisor, it's really, you've got to be really amazing at one thing to get away with not doing the other thing. Like you've got to be a star hunter bringing in half a million to a million dollars of revenue, not premiums, but revenue for your boss to just look over the fact that you're not really servicing your customers or, uh, on the opposite, if you're really good at retaining, well, you've got to do a little bit of hunting out there to just show that you're growing your block. Cause it's your, if your block is not growing, it's dying. So I sometimes come across this concept of people feeling like they're too good to do one or the other. There's a lot of people that say, Oh no, no, I don't cold call. No, 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 no. I don't do that. No, no, no. Or the ones who are good at cold calling saying, oh, no, no, I don't read the booklet or contract. I don't get involved in the census. I don't edit things. I don't write the employment materials. No, 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 no. I have someone who does that for me. Well, guess what? <laughs> Your customers have not been too good to shovel their own coal. And they're going to know pretty quickly. I mean, entrepreneurs have spidey senses. Again, remember from some of my previous episodes, up to 30% of entrepreneurs have some form of dyslexia or learning disability whereby they're stronger relationships and in person and weaker with reading and writing. Like they're not lawyers for a reason. <laughs> they were they were maybe not great at school. They got C's or D's in high school and they got really good at, well, sniffing out who's a bully in, in the, uh, the cafeteria or who's kind of a little bit more scared of them on the bus to school. So they've got that spidey sense. And if you don't know your stuff cold, they're going to pick up on that. And there's a little bit of embarrassment with that because I'll admit, like there have been times where I'm embarrassed to admit the level of detail that I've been forced to go through in my business. Like I'm embarrassed to say as the CEO, I'm reading the email campaigns. I'm embarrassed to say that I've helped my admin team process enrollments. Why is that embarrassing? Because everybody wants to be that like success story that grows their business and, you know, is shooting threes all the time. But sometimes I didn't have the opportunity to do that with the pandemic. It just like stuff falls in your lap. You either get it done or you don't. And there's no such thing as being too good to just get the work done. 
So that, I think it's really important to try it yourself. If you haven't been in your own weeds lately, go back in the weeds, like become a user of your own benefit plan. When was the last time that you submitted a claim and you were frustrated and you tried to work with the insurer and get an escalation? Um, you know, the cobbler son wears no shoes. There have been like whole years where I've just not submitted claims because I am like too busy being a benefits person. But then when I actually started using the system after I gave birth, I, I thought, oh my goodness, this is a very complex impossible system. And if I have a hard time with it, with all of my knowledge, how do our customers feel about it? No wonder there's so much anger. I think it's important for you to practice being in the weeds. I'm not saying, you know what, go ahead and like change your job from cold calling to like reading booklets all day. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like, we've got to break the ego and we've got to break the stigma of like getting into the weeds and doing the work that we did when we were an entry level service rep or an entry level account executive, because that's the work that got us there. And that's the work that will often keep you there to keep you fresh and to keep us trustworthy. You know, it's important because when I think I was listening to this presentation the other day and there were a lot of benefits advisors and they were talking about, well, what are the door openers that you use when you're trying to land new business? Like, what do you say? What are the sentences that you use? And I, you know what that reminds me of? That reminds me of, um, I, I remember reading Steve Jobs' autobiography and he talked about, they, they talked about how when his father was a carpenter and he was building a bookcase the story goes that he didn't want it to be beautiful just on the outside. He wanted it to look beautiful on the back too. So you're assembling your bookcase. Why does it matter what kind of material or wood you use behind the bookcase? No one's ever going to see it. But Steve Jobs' father always told him, but you'll know. You will know that the back of that bookcase is not high quality. And I attribute that to okay, you're in the field, you're prospecting, you're trying to talk to your customers and you're showing them the front of the bookcase. But how do you feel about the back of the bookcase? Meaning when you're not in front of customers, what are you doing? How are you growing your knowledge base? Are you looking at your own data? Are you spending time analyzing and thinking about what the data is telling you and what do those insights truly mean? Or are you simply passing a renewal across the desk or saying, hey, I can save you 10%. So door openers are important. But I think what's even more important is understand the following fact. Leaders who buy your product from you, they're buying you. They're not buying your PowerPoint presentation. They're not buying your proposal. They are buying you. They're not buying your company. They're not buying the product. They're not buying the carrier. They are buying you. They're looking into your eyes and they're trying to decide, can I trust this person? They are smelling out whether you are desperate or whether you are strong and confident. They're using their spidey senses to detect whether you're telling them the truth. Entrepreneurs are allergic to inauthenticity. They are magnets to hyper authenticity. So I'll give you an example. In my career, as I've been growing my business and becoming more comfortable being the CEO, I've noticed that the more hyper-authentic I became, the more that I started to get leads and referrals coming to me out of the blue on a more frequent basis. This never happened to me when I was a service rep. When I was a service rep doing my job, I, th I was just, okay, I'm just, you know, 
working as hard as I can. And that was good. I mean, I might get somebody once a year referring something to me, but then after I started to stick to what I know and talk about what I know, and I'm going to use this concept that we use in EO called the 5%. The 5% is some fact about yourself that's either too good or too bad to share with anyone else. Like you might not even tell your spouse, you might not even tell your friends. So in EO, they actually encourage these people, the the members to share that 5% with your group. And so you'll start to see entrepreneurs admitting the wildest things to each other. And that builds trust. It builds commitment. It builds relationships. So when I started to actually take this practice and share the 5% publicly, I would literally post articles on LinkedIn, like how the hardest thing I've ever done in my life was trying to feed my newborn child and how I had to like live beside my breast pump and how could we not cover breast pumps and insurance? Something that seems a little bit taboo to talk about on LinkedIn. But after I wrote that article, I started getting like leads, just people just throwing their business at me. And you know, I'm not in the field, so I would just kind of refer them all away. But people were like, no, 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 we want to work with you, Yaffa, because yeah, this happened to me too. And I started to attract people that really love that hyper-authenticity. I've also talked about some of the fertility struggles that I have had and Um, you know, dealing with depression after having a child. And again, like I thought, wow, this is so embarrassing. Like why would I ever put this publicly? Why would I ever talk about this in front of entrepreneurs or my prospect base? And that again, like I've now become a magnet where I get one to three businesses per week throwing their plans at me. And they're saying, how do I work with you? Because I trust you. Like I get people sending me uh, you know, red heart emojis saying like, don't like, don't worry. We know that you're going to do everything right. And I'm starting to think like, I don't have time to actually do this. And I'm not a broker that wants to be in the field. So I need to work with advisors, but I'll, I'll tell you the truth. Like when I'm trying to refer leads forward and I get a response from somebody who I can tell does not shovel their own coal, doesn't shovel their own hay, it makes me pause. And when I, what do I mean by that? I mean, if I get the sense that they feel like they're too good to do what's required, like maybe they're too good to do some of the heavy lifting involved in implementation, maybe their payroll administrator has just uh, sent an email asking like, how do I do payroll deductions? And maybe they shirked this off to somebody else or they told the client, no, 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 we're not going to like deal with you because this is not what we do. Like that to me is telling me, well, okay, I've attracted these people because they know that the back of my bookcase is as beautiful as the front of my bookcase that I've built. Like I can't refer it to somebody who's not willing to do that. And I'm telling you, there are a lot of people like me and, and I get it from insurance companies too. We get insurance companies referring business to us because they know that they trust us and they're saying we can't trust anybody else. And I think it's important for you to build trust and cultivate that by a Don't be too good to slide back into quicksand every now and then, even if you've got to do it just for fun, just to remember what it was like that. And then 
sharing that and sharing your 5% with the world, whether it's on LinkedIn, whether it's in your local community groups, just being your hyper authentic self. I'm telling you, I promise it's scary, but you will start to become a magnet for business. And instead of worrying about, well, what door openers am I going to use? What is my PowerPoint presentation pitch going to look like? Just worry about like making the back of your bookcase as high quality and beautiful as possible and then sharing that with the world. So that's it. You know, businesses, business owners are buying you. Don't feel like you're too good to get back into the field and do what's required. And thank you for listening. So if you wanted to talk to me, you can email me at yaffa at bennetplan.ca. Bennetplan.ca, you know, we're available on all social channels, LinkedIn, yada, yada, whatever you want. So feel free to reach out if you have a topic that you want to hear, or if you've got a question or Hey, if you want to receive some of these leads that I'm getting, reach out and I'm happy to talk to you about what it's like. So thanks again for listening.